The quarter life crisis. To be 25 again. Oh, my uh, God. I mean, it seems good from here, but at the time it was actually quite wild. Oh, God. I was absolutely unhinged. I did not know what was going on. I was. You were the most unhinged person I've ever <laughs> met in my life. I'm between 20 and 25. <laughs> my brain wasn't developed. <laughs> so what do you think was like the wildest, riskiest things you were doing? Okay, Mitch, we can't talk about that on this podcast. <laughs> do you think you've gone through a quarter life crisis? I mean, at 25, we did go to India and like do yoga. <laughs> be honest and not to frighten anyone. I feel like I've gone through a crisis in every decade. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I went through a quarter life. I'm going through a third life, but I'm sure a midlife crisis is coming up for me soon. <laughs> yeah. But you weren't as unhinged in your 20s. It is sad that I was actually a practicing high school teacher while on the weekend doing like illegal things. Bleep, <laughs> <laughs> bleep. Welcome to Netflix's Know-It-All. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm Mitch Moffat. You might know us from YouTube or TikTok. We're the ASAP Science Guys and your hosts of this podcast. And today we are exploring, is the quarter-life crisis real? Maybe the answer is we just always feel like we're in crisis. Yeah, that's yeah. you. <laughs> Has science ever thought of that? I feel like it's always simmering at a baseline of a 38% crisis. 27.5% on a good day, I think. Okay, we joke, but it does feel like there are always these sort of crises moments, and maybe there is a reason for it. This week, we watched the new season of Emily in Paris. If you haven't seen it before, it's a show about a 20-something American who heads to Paris for a new job. So as one does when they decide to move to Paris in their early 20s, she starts off excited, but then obviously starts to struggle with her life there, with the trials and tribulations of picking up your life in that early of an age, moving to this other place. Like you can see why she's obviously like exhausted. <laughs> My entire life, I've been practical. I make one romantic decision and it bit me in the ass. Are you talking about work or Gabrielle? Paris. Oh. I just need to know, are you on my team or not? I was beginning to wonder if you were joining us at all. I'm so in on team whatever this company's called. Do they know that you're pulling double duty? Oh, God, no. But even outside of doing something wild like moving to another country, I feel like we all go through mm -hmm. a similar experience in this age when we're no longer in school and just have to explore the world on our own. So it cannot be a coincidence. We all struggle. So why? I have a lot of thoughts about this question, but it's good to start with the beginning, sort of like what actually happens in your brain, the science of your brain during adolescence. We see changes with dopamine, which is a very important neurotransmitter in your brain, in the pathways that connect the limbic system. The parts of our brain that process emotions, experience rewards, but also punishments. Larry Steinberg is a psychology professor. He wrote a book about what happens in the brain and its development during adolescence. He says heightened sensitivity to anticipated rewards motivates adolescents to engage in acts, even risky acts, when the potential for pleasure is high such as unprotected sex, driving cars really fast, or experimenting with drugs. Another study showed this was particularly pronounced when adolescents are with their friends, and we think this helps explain why adolescents do risk-taking things in groups. Never mind. <laughs> You're welcome, friend. Oh, wow. So our brain gets like an extra little bit of pleasure when we're doing something risky with our friends. Spicy. Yeah, I mean, hello, of course. <laughs> Here's one other thing that our man Larry mentioned. We're discovering that the brain during adolescence is very malleable and has a lot of plasticity. What that means is that the brain has a heightened capacity to change in response to experiences. 
that can do two different things. The brain is especially susceptible to toxic experiences that can harm it, but the brain is also susceptible to positive influences that can promote its growth. So what you're saying is not only are there a lot of changes happening inside of our brain, but any new experience can also change the brain fast. Yes, or at least faster than when you're older. Adolescents also mature intellectually before they mature socially or emotionally, which might explain why someone who seems super smart still might do something risky. Sounds familiar. <laughs> oh, wow, saying I'm smart. You were, but also <laughs> risky. <laughs> See, I can't get anything right. That's a common mistake. They're called fuzemi. All right, that all sounds good. It makes sense. I mean, I definitely did a lot of dumb things when I was young. Maybe not as many as you, Greg. But to be honest, I feel like we were kids and our kids for a really long time, like our parents back in their days, they were buying homes and getting their jobs for the rest of their life when they were like 15. Okay, maybe 20. But am I making that up? Does it not feel like this generation is yeah. older later? Well, like, <laughs> didn't your mom have kids when she was like 25? Yeah, at this age, my mom had four kids already. Yeah, you have zero <laughs> kids. You can barely even handle your dog. I can barely handle myself. <laughs> Well, if we look at the average age of puberty in the United States, girls are starting puberty around 11 or 12 years old. On the other hand, we can look at the end of the adolescence in terms of when the brain is not maturing so much anymore. That seems to be going on until people are in their mid-20s or so. Here's the thing, though. Studies are actually finding that puberty is starting earlier, but culturally, adulthood seems to be starting later. So, for example, marriage and, you know, financial security are starting to happen now closer to the age of 30 compared to like in the 1950s when people were getting married in their early 20s. The Atlantic had a story tracking kids who sung in choirs. That's the officialist way we can figure out tracking puberty in science right now. Choirs. Choir masters records show that voices would break for the choiristers or the people in the choir, whatever that's called, around the age of 18 in the mid 1700s. That age declined to 13 in 1960s. And now voices seem to be breaking at an age of 10 and a half. Meanwhile, the age of first menstruation for people with uteruses has been declining by more than three months per decade. So much of this change could be happening due to better nutrition. But in recent years, the age drop in puberty for all kids has become a health concern. And scientists are starting to try and figure out why this could be happening. Here's one thing I thought was interesting. You'd think if adolescence was starting earlier, they'd be doing some of that risky behavior that the brains crave sooner. But that's actually not the case. An analysis by researchers at San Diego State and Bryn Mawr report that today's teenagers are actually less likely to engage in adult activities like sex and drinking alcohol than teens from older generations. It's not just obviously risky stuff either. So teens have become considerably less likely to drive, have an after-school job, and date. By the early 2010s, it also appeared that 12th graders were going out far less frequently than 8th graders did in the 1990s. But is it a date? That doesn't sound like a date. Do you want it to be a date? I mean, I've liked him since we were at boarding school, but maybe I'm just trying to satisfy a teen crush, you know? In 1991, 54% of high schoolers reported having had sex at least once, but in 2015, the number was down to 41%. What's more, the decline in adult activity was consistent across all populations and not influenced by race, gender, or location. 
The lead researcher even said that our results show that it's probably not that today's teens are more virtuous or more lazy. It's just that they're less likely to do quote-unquote adult things. She also adds that in terms of adult behaviors, 18-year-olds now look like 15-year-olds from the past. Okay, so adolescence starts earlier, goes on forever. We're becoming adulty adults later. That is an official science term, by the way. Cool, cool, cool. But what about that period in between where you might see a quarter-life crisis? Is that real or are we just complaining about life in general? I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not cut out to be a waitress. I'm a marketing executive. I mean, what am I doing with my life? I thought you wanted to take some time off. I- I'm trying. I'm trying to make the most of all this, but so far all I've been able to do is field spam messages from Instagram bots to nearly kill one of your regulars. According to a 2011 study, British psychologists reported in The Guardian that people in their 20s are just as likely to experience a crisis as those who are middle-aged. The quarter-life crisis is common. One survey suggests that as many as 70% of young adults have them. Jacob Teebs, a professor of psychiatry at Yale, ever heard of it, (laughs) said that during their 20s to early 30s, young adults may feel ill-prepared or even trapped by their adult roles. And this can trigger a quarter-life crisis that leads to heightened feelings of stress as well as anxiety or depression. If you think about it, a lot of different big things happen around this time that might trigger some sort of existential crisis. Forbes actually has a list of events you might go through around that time period that already made me feel uncomfortable just thinking about. Like losing your job or experiencing job insecurity or issues with job stability. A breakup or the end of a meaningful relationship. Moving to a new place where you might not know anyone. Hello, Emily in Paris. Living alone for the first time marriage, or a major relationship commitment. Graduating college without plans for what's next. That's a big one. (laughs) It does make sense that you go through some sort of intense period in this time. You've had this big stage of growth during adolescence where our brains are changing and literally growing. And then it's like you're young, so you're not really doing all this risky stuff as much anymore. And then all of a sudden, here come all these hard things when you're around 25. Scientific American actually had a story about extended adolescents. Adolescents were more likely to take part in adult activities if they came from larger families or those with lower incomes. That kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The brain is super flexible in that adolescent stage. It can develop whichever way it needs to depending on the experiences you're throwing at it. This mirrors the so-called life history theory, the idea that exposure to an unpredictable, impoverished environment as a kid leads to faster development, whereas children who grow up in stable environments with more resources tend to have a slower developmental course. That's super interesting. The likely explanation for this new extended adolescence is its relationship to affluence. In families with means, there is often more anticipation of years of schooling and career before one necessarily has to grow up. There's plenty of time for that later. And even with growing income disparities, a significant percentage of the U.S. population has on average become more affluent over the past few decades and are living longer. As a result, people are waiting longer to get married and have children. But that also means our brains are still developing longer, too. One researcher called it neurobiological capital. It's the idea that for brains, you know, also people, who are lucky enough to enjoy intellectually stimulating environments in late adolescence, you know, like college, they then have that additional opportunity to create a lifelong brain-based advantage. 
But then they crash into adulthood at 25 and have their quarter-life crisis, so that's a bit of a nice trade-off there. <laughs> Are you sure you want to run away from everything that you've worked so hard for? The raise, the, the big promotion, remember? Madeline, I'm not running away. I'm running towards the life I want. Okay, before we go, one last little factoid to take you on your day. Did you know where the word adolescence comes from? Mm, adult in essence? The term adolescence actually derives from the Latin adolescere, to grow up. Ooh. The Random House Dictionary defines adolescence as the process or condition of growing up, the growing age of human beings, the period which extends from childhood to manhood or womanhood. Or anything in between. Ordinarily considered as extending from 14 to 25 in males and from 12 to 21 in females. Might need to update that definition. I have a better one. The period when things are kind of fun, but also kind of suck in a different way than how they're going to suck when you're older. Yeah. Things just suck in a cycle of differentness. <laughs> yeah, things just always suck. It's just how they suck that defines your generation. <laughs> That's it for this week's Know-It-All. I'm Greg Brown. And I'm Mitch Moffat. 